Hawks bus. I mean, I've had friends whose lawyers have said, don't speak to him or don't speak to her. Let the lawyers do the talking. And somehow our humanity gets lost in that. And the fear rises. And the I think one of the biggest challenges with a graceful divorce is the idea that you failed, that somehow a marriage that doesn't last forever is a failure. And I just, I don't know, what's your take on that? It just doesn't make sense to me. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Getting Along With Your Ex. That sounds juicy, doesn't it? That's a difficult one for a lot of people. Going through a breakup, going through a divorce, there's a lot of hard emotional feelings for people to have to move through in order to have a good relationship with their previous partner. And today I talk with a returning guest, Maureen McCarthy. And Maureen is the co-director of the Center for Collaborative Awareness. And together with her husband, Zell, Maureen co-founded a process that helps people build and keep sincere and strong relationships. This process is called the Blueprint of We collaboration process, and it's used globally by couples and families and schools and businesses, both large and small. And so today on this episode, we talk about how to collaborate and design a divorce process or a breakup process. Maureen tells the process of how her and her ex-husband Bill went through their divorce process in a collaborative way and how they intentionally designed this process so it could be healing for them and their children. I think there's a lot of juice in this conversation because as a society, we don't do breakups or divorces well. We expend a huge amount of emotion and energy and money in a process that doesn't really serve our souls. So Maureen tells her story that is different than what most people experience in a positive way. And before we get on to the episode, I wanna once again thank all of you all who have donated to my podcast. And if you are inclined to do so, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, check out support the podcast page, and you can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is greatly appreciated. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you'd leave a review. Okay, everybody, getting along with your ex. Let's talk about it. So... Here we go again. Thanks so much for meeting with me on this topic because it started when we did our first podcast on collaborative relationships a few right. months ago. And I was just telling you, boy, I really want to have a podcast I can talk with somebody about having a good friendship and a relationship with, with your ex. And you said, that's me. That's me. That's, that's me. true. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. So this is what we're going to talk about. And you know, what's what's challenging for me is when I'm doing my work and I see the the pain or the animosity that happens in a breakup. And I also recognize that people have a really hard time moving through that pain and grief to go into healing, yeah, to true. have a relationship outside. But what I also see is they didn't have a friendship even in parts of their marriage. Oh, interesting. So that's that's, that's typical. Right, yeah. Hmm, so That makes sense. Yeah. But can you tell a little bit about your... Um, mm. your experience with, with your ex. I, I've had, I haven't had marriages before, but I've had two or three longer term four year relationships. I'm not friends with them. I have did some processes of healing, but I didn't maintain a friendship. So this is a great topic mm. to learn about. 
Yeah. Yeah. So my former husband is Bill and he's truly one of the, my most favorite people on the planet. He'll be my family the rest of his, my life because I can't even really call him an ex-husband because we really mindfully chose to not ex each other out of our lives. I actually grew up in a family where our, my parents got divorced when I was young and it was really painful and bitter and big blowups and either, you know, silence in the house or huge fights. And my dad would go away for months at a time and we didn't know where he was. And it was just a lot of, um, it was a lot of drama and like a roller coaster of, oh, someone came in the door, like tiptoe, you know, be on eggshells kind of thing. So when Bill and I, who had been married for 10 years, we'd been married for 10 years, we had two kids and the kids were young. When we got to the point of saying, okay, we're going to transition out of this marriage, <laughs> we actually went to the bookstore and we were looking at do-it-yourself divorce books because the whole idea of being enemies was something we wanted to not move into that space. So in one of the books, and this was, gosh, this was in 1997 or eight, there was nothing we could find on like graceful divorce or mm. how to you know remain in relationship or anything. That stuff just was not prevalent. It might've been out there, but we couldn't find it at you know Barnes and Noble. <laughs> so one of the books we found on do-it-yourself divorce um, said in big red letters on the back, do not show this book to your spouse. So it was the notion of like, you know, don't share any information with the enemy. And it was sort of shocking to me that the prevailing story in our culture is that divorce is awful and painful and horrible for the children. It's going to impact your children for life. And I think that is true for a lot of people. Those things all do come true. But I think part of it is because we have such a strong story that that's the only option that we've never really thought to create something different. Mm -hmm. So in, in going through this do-it-yourself divorce process, we found out that the state we were living in, uh, because we had property and we had children, we couldn't do a do-it-yourself divorce. So <laughs> we went to a friend of ours who was an attorney. He was not a divorce attorney, but we begged and pleaded with him and said, will you please take our divorce through the courts because we don't want to do it with somebody that we don't trust will not you know, put us against each other. So in that state, we were only allowed one of us to have him as an attorney and the other person had to be like represent themselves. So <laughs> I actually said to him, like, pull up someone else's document, pull up some generic thing and put our names in it. I don't actually like I understand I used a legal document to get married and I need to go through the legal process to get out. But I said, to tell you the truth, I know 100 people that would be better mediators for Bill and I if we really got in a bad spot than a judge who had never met us. Mm -hmm. I've never actually read my divorce document. Wow. I don't know what it says. Wow. And I really do feel like I have a list for myself of people, like if it ever got into a bad place, these are the people I'd say, you know, and Bill and I talk too, like, is there anybody we'd sit down with? And to me, there's something about being part of the process of the transition there's something about when we hand it off and we're not part of the conversation. It's like, I mean, I've had friends whose lawyers have said, don't speak to him or don't speak to her. Let the lawyers do the talking. And somehow our humanity gets lost in that. And the fear rises. And the, I think one of the biggest challenges with a graceful divorce is the idea that you failed, that somehow a marriage that doesn't last forever is a failure. And I just, I don't know, what's your take on that? It just well, doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense, too. You know, one part I always think about, too, is I tell people, you know, endings are as important as beginnings. Yes. So the divorce is, is your relationship legacy. Yeah. How do you want to do that? Yeah. And that's so important, especially yeah. if you have kids, because that's going to be part of their legacy of relationships. So, yeah, many people don't realize, you know, they're just... They want to end it so fast and there's a lot of emotional right. upheaval around it as opposed to really going through a ritualistic healing process yes. of that. I'm just curious, do you mind saying like what, what was some of the reasons why you chose to go separate ways in your, in your marriage? Well, I actually have a very rare genetic fatal lung disease and it was coming into the year that my doctors told me I'd be dead. And Bill has clinical depression and he was going through a really rough time of sort of the way he described it was there was a point at which he felt like he handed our life over to me to, to decide on things. 
And I started getting nervous that if we stayed together until I died, he would not know how to take care of the kids. Mm-hmm. Not, not know how, he's like an amazing dad, but he would not like be able to pick himself up um, as easily. And it really scared me. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, I need to, which is why when we got divorced, I actually moved into an apartment and I'd go to work every day and then I'd come home to the house at night where he was with the kids and I'd you know, make dinner and put him to bed and get baths and all that kind of stuff. But it was the realization, like, I have to extricate myself from this, which <laughs> sounds crazy because, like, if you're dying, uh, chances are you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, you want, you want more um, support. And, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it felt like the smartest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it was or not, I don't know. Well, it but sounds like it was because how long ago was that? That was 1998. 98, so, 98, you, so, so 21, 21 years, years ago. So, so yeah. you got 20, 20. So I've lived longer than most anybody <laughs> with this lung disease. Right. And Bill and I are still like family. And our kids are now incredibly wonderful, beautiful human beings. Um, in fact, they're, in fact, one of Kate's, Kate, my daughter lives out in Seattle. And she ran into a friend of hers that she grew up with in Chicago. And she said one of the things they bonded on was they both had parents who had really graceful divorces and like that really connects them Mm. because that's so unusual. Mm. So the kids even understand graceful endings of their relationships. Like how do you move, how do you, how do you have a relationship where you learn and grow and you develop and you learn how to fight and you learn how to love and you learn all these things. And then you realize there's different paths that are coming especially because we live a lot longer mm-hmm. than the original idea of marriage. Like we're not dying at 45. Like, right. so chances are we're going to be serial monogamous. So until we start understanding how to better do transition, just like transition of jobs, like that can be traumatic too. Yeah. But then there can be the next thing that is exactly where you need to be. But how did you go from that transition of maybe the acceptance of it to actually staying in contact? One, of course, is a wonderful thing that you did for the kids you know, many people that don't have kids, they don't have to have that kind of contact. But right. many people that, of course, do have kids, they're really struggling with maintaining a, not just cordial, but then even a right. caring and loving relationship. Yeah, for sure. How did you take it to the next level? Well, I feel like as long as you can call up a memory of someone in your mind, mm. you're in relationship with them. So I was going to be in relationship with Bill as long as I did not lose my mind Um, that's a relationship. And I can either hold someone in that relationship in a really painful or a really beautiful place, but I get to choose that since that's where the relationship actually resides. So I think whether or not we had kids, I would have wanted to, for my own health, maintain a good relationship with them. Even if it was a Christmas card once a year, like I wanted there to be something for my own sake, especially because I have this crazy lung disease. I've been on oxygen for 15 years. Like I don't have the extra ability in my body to be in stress with the relationships, even if they're the relationships in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say probably the first two years, like I'm telling you all this in hindsight. So sure, it could have gone a thousand different ways than it did. But looking back on it, I would say the first two years afterwards, we really had to work at it. Like there was, I remember one time going over to the house to do something with the kids and Bill had just really felt a lot of stress about looking back on a lot of things that I did and didn't do in our relationship. And he spent a couple of good hours just yelling at me how hurt and angry and you did this and you did this. And there was a moment, like I literally, like there was, my first thought was like, I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to fight back. I wanted to say, but you did this and this, and just the normal things that come up in our body when we feel like we're being attacked. But I realized in that moment, like, oh, this is one of those times And I just tried to calm myself down and realize like he needed that space to say those things to me. They were true. It's not like anything he said was not true. Were there other perspectives on it from my point of view? Sure. But there wasn't from his perspective, anything that wasn't true. Um, And even if it wasn't true, it's still from his perspective, a truth. And so the only words out of my mouth that whole time were, I'm so sorry. And Mm. please forgive me. And I'd be happy to talk more about that or just a lot of silence, like let it happen. And it's a realization that in that time frame, especially in the two years of tra- the transition out, that it, it, it's not always like, oh, it's some instant, like, oh, we were friends, we're going to be friends. Like, right. And like you said, if a lot of couples aren't friends to begin with, 
Mm. You got to build something in those moments. Mm. And sometimes it is about like finding the space to let the other person say what they need to say without defending. Did you feel that that was a power position for you? Because a lot of people don't feel that that's a power position to say, hey, no, I'm not going to let you say falsehoods. I need to defend myself. But I find sometimes when we just let somebody just experience what it is that they're experienced with just hearing them, in some way that's a power position because we're not defending ourselves and back and forth. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, Yeah, it it felt like it was more powerful for both of us. I think in some ways, and I'll have to ask him this, him having the ability to just say what was on his mind probably ended it sooner and didn't leave him feeling embattled by it. So I think both of us felt more powerful after that. So there was a way to get past the anger and grief mm-hmm. is to be able to express what he was feeling instead of it being capped. Yeah. That was the move towards more healing. Yeah. Mm. I do think um, in general, letting people have their pain like that is, is helpful without trying to change it or fix it or move it in a different direction. Yeah. Sometimes that first moment we just need to let something out and have someone hold space for it. And I think that's a big piece of it is teaching yourself how to hold space for other people, like let them be exactly who they need to be without wanting to change them in the moment. It's not easy. It's a muscle you have to build. That's right. But I think it's helpful. I mean, in fact, so my husband Zell and I have been together 20 years now. So I met him after Bill and I were out of our relationship. And um, there was a moment not too long ago where I was sitting working on my laptop and he comes in and he starts yelling at me about something I did with the toaster in the kitchen. And I just said like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Like I totally did it. And then about 20 minutes later, he came back in and he goes, hey, sorry about that. You know that had nothing to do with you, right? Mm. And I'm like, oh, I totally know it had nothing to do with me. Now that sounds crazy because I literally did what, I, what he said I did with the toaster. It had everything to do with me on the, on the outside. Right. But when that realization that somebody else's emotion or fear or whatever it is that comes out of them isn't about me and I don't have to take that in and push something back, just let him have his thing and then we can have a conversation. We call it look back learning. So it's like the post-game analysis of a relationship. Right. So a couple of days after a fight, we sit down and go, okay, so what did happen when we got in that fight the other day? Like you said you wanted this when you get stressed out and I tried that and it didn't, didn't work. And he'd be like, no, actually it did work. It might not have looked like it, but it was actually really helpful in the moment. But we're sort of taking a look when we're calm again as to what happens when we're in those stressful moments. And I think you can do that as a couple in transition too. Mm-hmm. Did Zell encourage your relationship with Bill? Oh, totally. Wow. Yeah. That's, I don't think yeah. I'd... Part of it was me, the way I introduced Zell to Bill. There was not... Because like I've never said a bad word about Bill to my kids. Like Bill and I have had that conversation before. That's key, Maureen. You know, I think like people really got to get that, that, you know, when that happens, that just really erodes the whole family connection. I know. Yeah. But you know, I realize, um, actually Bill and I had a conversation about this not too long ago in the work that I do in my language there, our brain has two main modes of safety brain or connected brain. So you're either protecting or connecting. It's what humans need to do to survive. And so when we get into our safety brain and we think we're protecting, so let's say I saw a bear in the woods and my child is here, I would turn around and say, there's a bear over there and he's scary and you don't want to go near him. We need to go in the other direction. That would be my way of protecting my child. And what happens when we allow ourselves to run our safety brain neural circuitry instead of having an awareness and calming ourselves down enough to do our connected brain neural circuitry is that the former spouse becomes the bear. And we think it's the kindest thing we can do to our child to say, that bear over there is awful and he's going to hurt you and I need to protect myself, protect you from him. And that isn't actually the case. And I think one of the toughest things is when a child hears that half of him or her is horrible. Because that's what you're, when you say your parent is this, your parent is this, you're subconsciously telling the child half of you isn't any good. Mm -hmm. And that leaves a mark. Like that's the biggest reason not to have those kind of conversations. And the potential of the collusion for the child to feel that maybe they need to also engage in that so that the 
parent that is name yeah. calling that they feel more in alliance with yeah, them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's so true. More love of that. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one though. I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel like they need to protect their kid from their former spouse, but a lot of it is pain too. Mm-hmm. When you feel that silly story of failure, you know, I graduated from high school, went on to college, not because I failed high school. Like transition doesn't mean failure. That's right. There's so much that you can gain from every relationship you're in. Yeah. So to be, there were times when my kids would come to me with complaining about Bill and I'd be the one who'd be like, even if I completely disagreed with what he did, that wasn't my job. Like he needs to parent them in their own parent-child relationship. I'd be the one supporting Bill, even if my opinion was completely different. Yeah. That's where I wish that my parents did, that they didn't do that so well, that they they let their hurt come out and they would say yeah. some things about the other. And I wanted to close off. I didn't want I know, to have those conversations so at all. Hard. It would have been wonderful if that didn't happen. I would have been more curious to hear what was going on in their right. transition. Yeah, but that's because so true. that got into it, I didn't want mm-hmm. I didn't want any part of that. So yeah. what what wisdom do you give couples around having a graceful transition? Well, taking care of themselves, you know, is mm-hmm. a big one. You know, if they're not ready to communicate on certain levels or engage, that they don't do that prematurely. Right. Like that transition of actually finding themselves in another transitional life, you know, a new place to live, perhaps a new job, that that they really focus on taking care of themselves so that they can bring the sense of themselves into the transition of the relationship and to really work individually of letting go of that past. It doesn't necessarily mean that they continue to try to work it out together, right? right? right. So making sure that they're able to let go of the past, that they keep the past in a perspective of learning on their own so that if they do choose to move forward in a in a semblance of subtype or relationship with their ex, that they're not bringing in a lot of the past and just letting it flare up in a new form. Right. So it's really working on taking care of themselves and nurturing themselves, understanding if they can, of course, the influence of the transition of why the relationship ended on their part so that they can just take ownership and accountability and not focus on more of what the other one did and, and that it was their fault. Even if it was 2%, right. their influence totally owned that. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Because that's empowering again. Yep. Instead of, I deal with couples that years and years and years, they're still victimized by their partner. Yeah. Instead of really embracing one, is like, I chose to be with that person. I chose some aspect of that relationship and right. I stayed in it probably too long. Right. And just that accountability. Yeah, that's a, that makes Again, sense. that's a power position in some way. Yeah, that's really true. Mm-hmm. I have to say when Bill and I were going through our transition, there's a book called Coming Apart by Daphne Kingma. I love that book. And um, Daphne's amazing. She's like 50 years ahead of her time in terms of relationships. In fact, we're sitting in my living room right now, and she wrote one of her books in the bedroom just oh, above your head. Nice. <laughs> um, but I had contacted her after I read that because I also wanted to, because I work in a, a lot of businesses in, around relationships, I also wanted to know how people in business partnerships could come through gracefully when they split up because all the same things in a marriage divorce happen in a business divorce. (laughs) But it started a really interesting conversation and I actually use one of her exercises in the book with a lot of clients. It's called, no, what's it? It's called, oh, a letter. I forgot the name of it. I'll think of it in a second. Anyway, what you do is you write a series of these short letters from all the different perspectives of the relationship. Mm. So like, what's the letter you would write about these were all the things I knew about that person that should have told me no in the first place. And all the, there's a letter of like, these are all the things I, it's all my fault. It's all their fault. Like all these different perspectives get written out. Um, And then in the end, you do this redefinition ritual. So it's really an idea of like, you have a, you have a container in your mind that you hold the relationship when you're done with it. And you could go out a year after your divorce and say, to someone you meet like, yeah, you know, my ex-husband is a this, my ex-wife is this, like, and you label them with a definition. The redefinition ritual helps you because you write these letters from so many different perspectives. It helps you to rewrite the definition of how you're going to describe the relationship and that person going forward. And then what I like to do is have people take all those pages that they wrote. We actually have a lake near our house. And um, I have this little, have you ever heard of the Viking funeral where Mm -hmm. they would light the boat on fire. fire. So I have this little boat that we put the papers in and we light the papers on fire and we send it out into the lake and we watch it burn. And it becomes like, okay, so I'm releasing whatever definition I had in all this pain. 
and I'm creating a new one that's healthier for me and for the other person and for the kids. Um, and I want to hold that space going forward. And I love the fact that you can really mindfully begin to disconnect from what was. Right. But I think it's equally important to mindfully design the new relationship container that you're in. So I feel like relationships are like containers. You, you don't end because if you're going to be in a relationship, as long as you can call up a memory, there's no real ending to a relationship. So you have to be able to morph the container to fit the new situation. The relationship that Bill and I have is not intimate marriage relationship anymore. In fact, if anyone thinks of a word, we're trying to find a word. Whenever I introduce Bill, I don't want to call him my ex-husband because it feels so not us. Um, I don't want to call him the father of Kate and Kerrigan because that has nothing to do with my relationship to him. He's like, he's family. He's like a brother or a cousin or something, but there's no actual really good word to describe someone who's still family that you used to be married to that mm. isn't negative. Yeah. True. Which I think is fascinating. So if anyone has a word, let me know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's about mindfully designing the new relationship container that you're in. So because I co-created this collaboration process called the Blueprint of We, we actually have a blueprint template for couples in transition. We design all kinds of things in the world, cars and furniture and things, but we forget to design our relationships. So the blueprint is a design document that people can use to actually mindfully design their relationship. So we have one for couples that are in relationship or coming together, but we also have one for couples in transition that are coming out of their relationship. So how do you begin to take a look at like, so even if the design at the end of it is like, okay, we'll talk maybe once a year or not even that, we'll see each other on the street and wave, whatever it is, design it right. and evolve the design. It doesn't mean you design it and it's that way forever. Keep evolving what that design is. And then you have a better chance at actually creating something that feels healthy and whole instead of this idea of failure and pain of endings and somebody's wrong and I'm never going to make it through. Did you do any of the ritualistic endings that she recommends in the book also? Like a ritual for the ending yes. of the relationship? Yes. Mm. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important too. You do right. the ritualistic wedding at the that's beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. You need some sort of ritual at the end. Was that painful for you? Um, it was emotional. It was heartfelt. I'd say in some, on some level it felt sort of like, wow, like you kind of take a look back and like, wow, why did this happen this way? Or why, why are we going through this? But in the end, like by the end of the ritual, we both felt calmer. So that is a natural process also of sometimes the doubt or questioning of why are we going through this? Why yeah. are we doing this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Were you good friends in your marriage? Would you consider that? Good friends. I don't know. Were we good friends? I guess we were. Because, I mean, we're good friends now. I would say so. Like, we've always had... In fact, when I talked to Bill just a couple nights ago, at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, it's one of the things I miss most about... We also live in different states now. I miss most about our relationship is like these really rich, meaningful conversations that we have. Like we've always, I mean, I didn't think, I met Bill when I was 19. I was young when we got married. So I wasn't out there thinking about whether I was going to be friends with my spouse. Like I think mm -hmm. I was too young to think about that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we've always had some level of friendship, but I actually think it's much stronger now. You know, when I think of friends that I have, I also think of, I don't know if I can live with these people. So, <laughs> right. you know, there's one aspect of thinking that, boy, in people that were partners and, and right. spouses, they can really have an enriching friendship because they don't have to deal with all the shit. When you're living with <laughs> somebody, true. there's That's more true. freedom in exploring the friendship Yeah, to be able to really care, love them, have a really great time, and then say, see ya, talk <laughs> yes. to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's you know? so true. Yeah. That's really true. Yeah. Yeah. So Zell didn't have any jealousy around your relationship with, with Bill. He didn't. Yeah, that's um, great. Which I'm really grateful for. And I think part of that is he just doesn't tend to be a jealous person by nature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bill left me a message at one point on my voicemail that just said, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have two people to co-parent our kids with. Like, it's mm -hmm. really been an easy, amazing experience. Like, we really all feel like 
the three of us are are in this together for the kids. And we never had one fight after our divorce about the kids. We never had one fight. We had, we had. Let's pause on yeah. that. Can, can I shake your hand on that? That's beautiful. Wow. Wow. We had completely different ideas of what should happen, hmm. but we never fought about it, which I think if I have, I mean, of course, I don't know. I don't have a control group, Maureen and Bill, but I think it's because we laid down the tracks to mindfully design what was next that helped us to be in that space much more. Like we used to fight a lot when we were married, but we learned because we, we more mindfully designed the relationship after mm -hmm. than we mindfully designed the relationship when I was 19. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge key. Like when you actually sit down and design your relationship, you have a much better chance to figure out, like to me, it's the equivalent of dancing without stepping on each other's toes. The thing that's so interesting, especially today versus generations ago, is that like sort of the legacy ideas of what marriage is aren't like the boxes we fit right. in, like the wife stays home and she takes like all these, this is what it looks like, Kundry. Those aren't happening. We don't have that really at our disposal exactly. Um, life is more complex and crazy than that. So it's the equivalent of like if you and I got up to dance because you're the man and I'm the woman, then, you know, we basically know we're going to do all right because you lead, I follow. We all know that. But if on the other hand, you were a woman sitting here interviewing me and we had to get up to dance, well, there's no rules. What do we need to do? Mm -hmm. We need to stop a moment, step back and say, okay, what dances do I know? When should I lead? When should I follow? She would need to do the same thing. And then we would need to exchange that information, which I think happens in this, in the blueprint of we that we created. You exchange information about what who you are, how you dance, what you're about, what I look like on a really great day and what I look like when I'm under stress. And here's what I need in those moments. And here are my values. And here's what I want to custom design. Like if you can write a little bit of that on paper, now we can dance to anything, which I think the music you dance to is like the culture of a family or a couple or a community. Like put on the music and if I know me and you know you, and then we exchange that information, we can dance to anything. Mm. So Bill and I, more mindfully designed phase two of the relationship. And I think that's why even when there were stressful times, we weren't in fights, which was miraculous because we fought all the time. Do your friends think that you guys were crazy doing this? Yeah. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> they really did. <laughs> A lot of it was probably their own projections of what, what they thought that they could do or even yeah. their past that they were bringing in. Yeah, that's very true. I think mm. it's, there's a lot of projection that happens. I would imagine that you also became an inspiration for some people in their transitions. I that think that's in the probably future. one of the biggest things to this day that people say is like, we hold possibility that there doesn't have to be this one way of painful divorce and wrecking your children. There are other options. You can gracefully um, navigate creating something new, something beautiful, maybe even something better, mm. but not, not going into it with this feeling of needing to blame another person, thinking that if we, if we push it out at the other person, we're gonna feel better inside ourselves. It's all just, it all is fear. You know, you know that, like, mm -hmm. it's just people are afraid. It's their safety brain neural circuitry going because transition isn't easy on our brains because not knowing the uncertainty of not knowing what's my future. But see, this is the thing that's so fascinating to me is the, the idea of marriage is forever idea to me is a myth. Like it's not always forever. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's one of the things that's the sort of the guiding force of Zell and I in our relationship is that we met the year I was supposed to die. So there was no future forever myth of like, oh, we'll be together for 50 years. So we didn't have that. And he was actually pining over this woman who moved away and he just wanted her back. And it was a, let's in the meantime, while I'm still alive, why don't we go out for dinner tonight? And it became sort of this day at a time kind of relationship. Mm. And so the blueprint of we actually was something we built as the first, um, the first one ever done was between the two of us because we knew we had to custom design the relationship. So we really went in it as like, let's do this one day at a time. Let's choose this every day. And so literally to this day, we've been doing this for ages now. One of us will ask the other one, will you marry me tonight? And so far, 20 years in, we've said yes every time. Like sometimes he asks me, sometimes I ask him. But this forever myth that like, this idea that we're a failure if it ends, 
Um, doesn't need to be that way. No, I think relationships have a lifetime. It could be one day, or it could be 50 mm, years. Yeah. They all have a lifetime, and nice. we think that it's supposed to be a yes, certain that way. Only the 50 years is successful. Success, right. It's not true. Yeah. yeah. And we know that. I mean, I know that as a marriage counselor, even though that you're married long, does not mean it's successful. Yeah. What, 60% of divorce rate right <laughs> I now. I know. Half of people that stay together are miserable. Yes. And then it's probably about 10% at most are really thriving. So it's not about the, the, the longevity. Yeah. Know? I always think about that when people clap for someone who's been married for a number of years. And I want to stop and say, okay, so how are you guys doing together? Right. I'd rather clap for the couple that's been together for two years and is like figuring right. it out than two people who hate each other for 60. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything that with the kids when that was going on, the transition of... Um, what was beneficial, what was challenging. I'm sure, you know, which people do have in mind, whether they follow through on it is a different story. They say they always have the best interest of the kids at heart. That's great, but they don't really follow through on that because of their own emotional shit that gets involved. Right, right. How was that for you and anything that the kids can recall that you hear stories about? Well, I know from the stories they tell their friends they teach their friends about relationship transition. And they do talk about, in fact, a lot of times their friends have said to me, you know, the reason that I'm going through a great transition with my girlfriend, boyfriend, is because Kate told me about how you guys did it. Hmm. And I think that's, they watched us be uh, not just mindful, but be, we were very, specific see purposeful yes purposeful that's a good word there was something very purposeful in i wanted them to walk away knowing that the half of them that's bill is spectacular and if i kept that in mind then i pointed my mind if i'm if there's a landscape in front of me and bill's on it i could either scan the landscape for all the reasons he's a problem and things aren't good and what he's doing is wrong or i could scan the landscape and try and point my mind to see all the ways that he's right and good and loving, even with all the flaws we both have. Mm-hmm. That was really important to me. And I think they walked away feeling like that. They know I'm one of his biggest cheerleaders, even in times where they know full well that I wasn't on board with what he wanted them to do. That if he, if they were at my house kind of thing, they would be fine. I would still fully be present to say, nope, like this is why you need to do it. I wanted to... I wanted to be the one who gave the rationale for why Bill was asking for what he asked for. I think that's important to yeah, to be an have advocate that support. Of that. Yeah, and I think Kate and Karen both appreciate that. And kids can do that. You know, I hear a lot of times we should have the same rules. I'm like, no, kids can multi. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you can have different expectations sure. in two houses, and yeah. as opposed to we have to be on the always on the same yeah. page with everything. Yeah, that's so true. But I think advocating for the other parents way of doing it, even though it's not the way that you would do it, that really helps the child to go ahead and pursue that. I think there was also a, we tried to be relaxed about schedules. So every, you know, Sunday, Bill and I would talk and say, instead of like, you get them Wednesdays, Fridays, Mm. and whatever, like there was a general schedule like that, but it was like, okay, what's your week like? How can I support you and what you need to do? How can you support me? And we'd move everything around depending on what was needed. So it felt like it felt like we had a like a we had resources together instead of separate it was a separateness idea. Mm-hmm. How can we best use the resource of our time and love and attention for the kids this week? No, that's wonderful. Instead of sort of feeling like I needed to protect my idea of what I needed and and I know there are some people who you feel like if you gave them that they'd let you down. Mm. But I would just encourage people to you learn more when you trust than yeah. when you don't trust. That's right. And when you can pull out the best in someone else. By also, there are plenty of things that, that I do that Bill's like, I don't like that about her, but I love her. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you know, like we feel those things. Yeah. So instead of focusing on those things, like how can, you, how can you find inside your own self without involving the kids? How can you embrace someone exactly the way they are? with everything that they are. That was a big deal. I know for me growing up, it was painful to know that when the visitation happened, I know mm. for Thanksgiving, it was like, all right, whose dinner do we go to and whose dessert do we go to this week? Yeah. You know, And my sister and I would, would, 
you know, feel close around that in our pain that we mm. have to go through that. And then I remember a few times when my father would say, look, you, you guys do what's best for you. Was, that, what a relief yeah. that was yes. instead of, no, you know, you're coming to me this holiday or this. And that is so painful for children instead of giving the trusting of we'll just work it out and what do you need? What do we, what do I need? And we'll work it. It doesn't have to be fair. There was nothing yeah. fair in the relationship when it was yeah, in marriage. Exactly. Why should it be fair? Yeah. You know, and I think that's something, isn't it? That people start yeah. getting more fair. They, yes. they go for fairness yes. in the breakup. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This equalness of yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And, and the lawyers are there for that too. We oh got to break gosh. everything up. All the assets have to be yeah. fair. Yeah. It's so stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't have room in my body for that kind of stress in my relationships. And I'm so glad that like Bill was willing to come along on it and Zell was willing to come along and the kids. And we really do feel like we're a whole family. Um, even though we live, well, now we're like all in different states. We're like all over the place. But we still connect on that level and feel complete family. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because that whole fairness equal stress around it's got to be exactly what the divorce decree said. And it's like, that's letting someone else make the right. decision. Like, what does work for us? How can we be more compassionate? Hmm. I wanted to be that for myself, for my own health, for my own sense of peace. Um, yes, it benefits Bill too. It benefits the kids. But I really needed to do that for myself. Did you do that well when you were together with Bill in marriage? Because when people think about, okay, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to make the agreements. But they inevitably, most people, at least in my office, they, they can't make those agreements. And I was wondering if you really did that well in negotiation yeah. and it, during, no, not it during, ha- no. so then it happened afterwards. It happened afterwards. Hey, people, it's possible to yes. do this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it definitely is, was much better afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And was that just part of your own growth process that you knew that this is what you wanted and wanted to transform as an individual to do that? Well, I watched my parents go through a terrible divorce, actually 12 years of separation in and out of relationship before the divorce. So it was just a lot of pain for both of them. And I really didn't want to recreate that. And I didn't believe you had to. I think that was sort of the guiding thing for me. It was like, that's, that isn't the be all and end all. It's not truth with a capital T. So knowing there has to be another way, I kept flipping things on their heads. Like, let me question that. If someone tells me it's going to be this way, I'm going to look for another way. So theirs wasn't a failure because out of that, this is what you actually Absolutely. Got, right? Well, I don't think any relationship right. is a failure. There's so, all kinds of good things that came out of their marriage. And I would go back to day one with Bill and do it all over again. Like, even though there were a lot of hard times, I still would completely do it all over again, even knowing there was going to be an ending at 10 years. Mm. But I, I think that this idea that the way the marriage was has to be the way the divorce is, is not true. I think you can find tools and conversations that help you craft something different. It might be the very thing that steps you into something better. Like you didn't mindfully design it the first time because nobody taught you how to do that. Right. So how do you mindfully design now? Yeah. And this is beautiful because people that aren't doing the legal part of marriage, they can very well make these agreements into their relationship, whatever they want to call it. And if they do transition out of it, instead of the divorce, which is because of the legal aspect of marriage, they can have this transition in their relationship as they go on. So it doesn't have to be for people just that are legally in the, in the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And there are also a lot of attorneys and mediators that are using the blueprint process we created, helping couples in transition or helping them start a blueprint with the next person they're with after the divorce. Like, how do you build the next relationship from a better perspective? Um, actually, one of our more recent clients um, is an organization called WeVorce, like divorce with ah, we at the front end. Wow. So it's WeVorce.com. And uh, the woman who created it, she's amazing she had gone through a really crazy divorce with her own parents and decided, so she was an attorney, she was a corporate attorney and decided there had to be a better way. So WeVorce is a place where you can go online and find out, find all the resources you need and connect with an attorney or a mediator for a more graceful divorce. Um, And they, I think they just hit, I think they're seven years in, they Mm. just helped their 1 millionth family through the process. Um, it's amazing. Like legal zoom has been trying to buy them. Um, it's a really amazing online resource. There's also these amazing, um, 
what are they called? Um, like chat spaces where people all going through that process can talk to one another and post topics. And, mm. and it's, it's great to reach out and find other people who are wanting to do this gracefully because you don't have to reinvent the wheel on your own. Mm -hmm. um, there are ways to, to take you through that process. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, when one person does it different, it doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is going to just join them. Yes. But at least the old dance doesn't just yes. keep going, right? It's really true. I always tell couples, you're a system. And when one part of the system shifts, the system has to shift. In what direction? Yes. I have no yes. idea, but it's got to <laughs> shift. So when yeah. people think about, well, I need this other person to be on the same page as me, I don't agree with that, yeah. especially around forgiveness, yep. around letting go. If you're doing that on your own, that can be a transformational process and influence the person, maybe not in that moment, yes. but it could in the future. Yes, because if one person's in their connected brain and another's in their safety brain, there's a greater chance of moving the other person to connected brain if at least one person is in. Mm -hmm. So I think you're absolutely right. Mm. So yeah, anyone out there who's like going through this process and their spouse wouldn't even consider any of this, you do it for your own health and your own peace and your own growth because you'll be a healthier individual for the years going forward, for the next relationship you're in. And do you think how much of that influence was, was that for you that you continue to live on after that year that you were Oh my gosh. To? Yeah. I think if Bill and I had gone through some sort of bitter divorce, I would, I would have died at the time my doctors thought I would. Mm. Um, I have 10% lung capacity left. So I've been on oxygen for years. They've, they've put me on hospice like 14 years ago. So no, it's been longer. <laughs> um, so there's, there's no reason that I should still be here, except I believe because I've gracefully designed my relationships. I'm not in stress on a daily basis like I used to be. And I think step number one in creating all of that was actually wanting to mindfully do my divorce differently with Bill than I experienced as a kid. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> Any thoughts or advice for a couples counselor for me to be mindful of that transition? Mm. I think there's a, I think there's an important piece of designing the transition because it's not just designing the re new relationship. There's a transition space a relationship is in, like the two years after Bill and I came out of it. Like there was a that was a different us than the mm. us today. So there's something about really having people understand or speak to like, what are my own personal values that I want to live by? And having each person really know and understand those. And then having them come up with like a couple's values, like as two people, like maybe we're not even a couple anymore. As two people, what are the values of our we now? And if we know those, if we know that it's, you know, respect or love or joy or whatever your values are, then you have a better lens through which to design from. Because you keep coming back to like, if we're going to make these agreements, like how do we see that through the lens of respect? How do we see that through the lens of love? And I think when people really attach to what matters to them versus looking at what the problems are, mm -hmm. I think we spend a lot of time in the problem solution mode of how do we fix things, right. which can only run safety brain neural circuitry, right. where when I'm running what I desire and what matters to me and what's important and what I value, I have my whole brain available to me. Mm -hmm. And I have an option to design something that actually makes us better. Like let this, let, be open to the possibility as a couple that this could make you better, yeah. not worse. Yeah. I tell couples all the time, whether they're staying together or not, really focus on what do you want? Don't mm -hmm. focus on what you don't want. You know, yes. e even in the aspects, yes. don't say, don't yell at me. Yeah. Say, talk to me in a lower voice. Yes. You know, so oh, even in, so smart. You know, even in the transitional aspect, they get caught up in, I don't want us to argue. I don't want us to fight. I don't want the divorce to be, um, cont you know, contagious. That yeah. and and they're already out there of the possibility of what that they don't want, and therefore their communication, their attitudes, their emotional people is rendezvousing with what they don't want with the big X, but yeah. they don't see the X. So it's challenging for people. I think. Um, I hear, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. Like, yes. Why not? Right. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? Yeah, you know, exactly. To, to, to get that up, that this is a possibility exactly. that we can live in this kind of way. Well, and what I don't want is only safety brain protection oriented. It can never be a connected place. Yeah. So you're never going to really find, you're never really going to design the we from separateness. It just doesn't happen. So you have to 
move yourself into that connected brain space, which I think is through the lens of what matters to us and what we do want, what we do mm-hmm. desire. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That's great. And I would love to give, um, if anyone's interested, the, the blueprint of we template and tools that we do for couples in transition. I want to give a 50% discount from our website, which is mm. collaborativeawareness.com or blueprintofwe.com with the coupon code PREPO. Yes. Great. So yeah, if anyone wants is going through a transition and, and wants to explore how to design that, it's a great place to start. Great. Thanks. We'll have that on the show notes too. Thanks so much for exploring this. It's a great topic. and I so uh, enjoy just having any conversation with you. We could talk about anything, mm. and I think we'd have an amazing time. But I really appreciate you bringing this topic to light for so many people, especially when you're going through it. And oftentimes people don't tell outsiders what's happening, and they're holding it all inside, and yeah. it's very stressful. Um, it's really beautiful that you're bringing other possibilities to light, and you're holding space for people yeah. to do it a different way. So thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate yeah. the work you do in the world. Mm, thanks so much. And thanks so much again for what you created and what you have out there for people to be able to move through it. Because it, it is a challenging, challenging period in people's lives. Yeah. But to let them know that they can actually thrive through this. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, thanks. Maureen. Mm-hmm. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by Oxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today faster and easier. Try it for free at oxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Oxbus. Oxbus.